never get enough of the French horns. We don't. We don't get enough. You know what? I did get enough of your donuts, though. The donuts are really great, but I, I'm trying to lose a little bit of weight. So, but thank you for your generosity. <laughs> uh, every single week, it's going to be a, a mea culpa for your donuts. Well, no, I, so. I just won't bring you any. That's that's okay. all there is to it. Lydia will have to eat everything. <sighs> <laughs> Well, she can afford it. She's slim and I'm not. Slim and I'm petite, yes. And petite and so, for those of you that haven't <laughs> figured it out yet, you're, you're listening to Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Lynn Elias. Sitting here is my partner in film, Greg Srizavazdi. Excellent. Excellent. You pronounced it better than I could. Thank you. Than I have. Thank actually. you. So, Aren't you happy? Awesome. I, I didn't just say, hey, Greg, but I'm so happy to have you back here, you. you know, when you're not out doing familial errands. <laughs> but I'll take you when I can get you. Awesome. Thank you. And based on the feedback we've been getting from all of you listeners out there, you like it when he's here. Oh, that's good to know. That's so. very good to know. My the question I'm going to keep asking is you have so much stuff to cover. Are we going to cover everything today? God only knows. <laughs> That's a great Beach Boy song. So, yeah. <laughs> Which, uh, you know, is, it, we'll be able to like bring up later on in the summer when a certain film right, comes out. Right. Great trailer. Brian Wilson. Love and Mercy, I believe that's the movie. That's right? it. So, and so far, yeah. from the just the images I've seen look fabulous. Mm, okay. Fabulous. But today's show is jam-packed again. Um, we've got writer-director Alyssa Leonard calling in live at 11.15 to talk about her feature film, Sally Picholik, cool. based on true story, real person, uh, nurse, ER nurse, uh, Sally Picholik, and her battle for um, B12 and standard of care changes in hospitals for testing for vitamin B12 deficiencies, which is at the root and heart of so many medical problems that for decades have gone undiagnosed. Okay. Um, Real thrill for us is Alan Tudyk is calling in live at 11.30 to talk about his new web series uh, that he's doing with Nathan Fillion, Con Man. Which is short for Convention Man, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, so. it could, you know, double entendre could have a few meanings there. We'll, oh, have, right. to, we'll have to Very ask good. Alan Very about good. that. But this is this is the web series that it's not even on yet, and it has been burning up the waves this weekend. Indiegogo campaign, $1.75 million raised, enough money to co- to finance an entire first season of 12 episodes. I think they were only hoping for 450000 Yeah, wow. Um, this is amazing. Of course, anything with Alan, I, w- I will see and support. Anything with Nathan, I will see and support. Right. Uh, so it's going to be great to talk to him. Plus, it's his birthday today. Oh, that, that is pretty cool. Yeah. So, and hopefully we're going to get to hear what uh, Virginia Madsen has to say about uh, her most recent role in the adorably dark comedy, Walter. Dark and light as and well. And light. A little bit, but mainly, you're right, mainly dark. It's mainly got dark, dark humor, but it's a very, but has a very light hand and a very light touch, and it is mm-hmm. a charmer. And once again, you might have to listen to me just gush about Cinderella, but this time you'll hear <laughs> Kenneth Branagh talking <laughs> okay. about Cinderella and his classically cinematic approach to the film. But right now, you've got something. I actually brought something for the first time. This is like a, a big thing, right? I actually uh, brought something. No, you've done day. this. You've done this before. Uh, yeah, the John Wick thing several weeks ago. Yeah, you know what? I loved. Did you like Saint Vincent? I loved it. Yeah, it came out on Blu-ray and DVD last month, and I actually just checked out the deleted scenes. So the movie itself is really good. If you if you get the DVD, the the deleted scenes really paints a 
a bigger picture of, of the movie. It kind of, um, you know, what happened to Terrence Howard's character, the friendship between the kid and the bully. So there's a lot more scenes that are worth checking out on the DVD, but I got the chance to interview the director, Ted Melfi, several weeks ago, and he gave some really inspiring advice on, you know, if you really want to go out and be a filmmaker or storyteller. So, yeah. And this is what he had to say. Yeah. Everything is screwed up, and it's been screwed up since the beginning of time. Every time, where there's people, there's poop. I mean, I mean that, that's it. Things are screwed up. They're always screwed up. They, they've always been screwed up. Uh, the distribution models change, change, changing, and will keep changing until it keeps changing. And it's never going to stop changing. And people will watch movies till, till the cows come home on every different format ever invented throughout time. We, we have to leave our stories behind. And if you don't leave your stories behind, you've left nothing behind. And all we have and all you have in your memory is the story of your mother and the story of your father, the story of your grandmother, the story of your grandfather. And that's a story that is worth telling. And either you're telling it or you're not telling it. And so you take the value out of your life and out of your stories and you tell those stories. And if you're not doing it, then you're not a filmmaker. There's nothing wrong with that. Then you're not a filmmaker. But if you are professing to be a filmmaker and you want to be a filmmaker or a writer, director, producer, anything, you have to do the work. You know, you have to do the work. Mm -hmm. And I think that really is a running, a recurring theme for Behind the Lens. We really spotlight filmmakers who really want to tell their stories. And look, the distribution model is screwed up. You don't know how to actually monetize sometimes. You might have a really bad distribution deal. Mm -hmm. There's so many swimming upstream moments for indie filmmakers or first-timers. Yep. Even second-timers, whatnot. But the bottom line is you really have to go out there and make your movie and stop complaining well and you know and it falls right in line you know mark duplass who we adore yeah you know i've known mark for many years now um and such an insightful filmmaker he just gave the keynote address at south by southwest this weekend and talking about some of the same points that he has mentioned repeatedly over the years when people ask him about how do you do it how do you do it and it's like look you pick up a camera you do it right Right, yeah. So... There's so many things that will tell a filmmaker not to follow his or her passions and make that film, but I think it's... Ted Malfi's very, you know, very linear. He's like, you're either doing it or you're not. Yeah. And there's, like, no excuses, so... And I think that, that really, I think, can be said for virtually everything, but I think it is more prevalent and more noticeable within the entertainment industry, within mm. filmmaking, within television, within all the new media platforms that we now have. There is no excuse for someone not... If you want to be making something, you can make it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and as we as we can see with all these Indiegogo campaigns, all these Kickstarter campaigns, yeah. the money is out there. People want to get involved. You know, and the great thing about Alan and Nathan, we're, we're, we're going to get to that with Conman, is the fact that they're still passionate about making new content, new material, new narratives, where they could just collect a paycheck for TV series and just coast, but they're still passionate about making new material which is great mm-hmm. yeah. and you know and i think that also is a testament to that the two of them also are familiar with the the world of whedon yeah with you know yeah. they have they are both part of the you know the whedon world joss you know, whedon i i think it's only how many episodes 14 episodes i still haven't seen firefly i've seen the movie but I've never seen. I've never seen. Okay, well, series. I'm going to move over here then. <laughs> so I hear it's a great sci-fi series. It really is. So, yeah. It really is. But yeah. I mean, I'll see anything that has 
Alan in it. I mean, I, first thing I saw Alan in was Patch Adams. Oh, okay, cool. The Robin yeah. Williams movie. Yeah. And there again, that was inspired by a true story based on the Gesundheit Institute. Oh, interesting. Uh, I, you know, I remembered him from a one-shot he did in, in Justified. Uh-huh. He's, a, he's an excellent actor. He has been around, yeah. and he had an amazing, amazing uh, arc as um, in Bones. I, yeah, in Bones, yeah. as uh, a child molester. Oh, wow. Okay, good to know. Yes, good, maybe good not to know. And of course, Alan is also, and I'm gonna, I'll ask him about this, but he is one of the Disney darlings with voices. Oh yeah. Well. A couple so. of big movies there. Just, 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 <laughs> Slightly. Uh, just a few, just a few. You know, very quickly before we get into the interviews, can we talk about some of your your visual aids that you brought to the table? Oh well, I brought again, and this is going to be a visual aid that when you watch watch the video of the show. Uh, this is the handy dandy TCM classic movie trivia book with more than 4,000 trivia questions Mm. on movies Uh, and I brought it because as everybody knows next week is TCM Film Festival the 5th annual TCM Film Festival Mm. in Hollywood joining me from Kansas next Monday Uh is one of my TCM social media peeps and friends Kelly Pratt Kelly is TCM for the festival this year. They're starting a new program called Social Producers. And approximately 20 or so of the active social media TCM people are now going to produce certain little games and aspects of things throughout the festival and be reporting on it via social media. Kelly is one of those social producers, and she has put together a really, really cool... Classic Hollywood trivia-inspired thing, running thing that's going to happen throughout the fest. Oh, nice, awesome! So Kelly's going to be calling us next week, mm. and we're going to talk about that in the fest. And you won't be here. <laughs> that's going to suck. Yeah, but, but I'm not going to be there. I, but you'll I'm be sorry. at the fest. Yeah, I'll be at the fest. Yeah, yeah. Which so. I think just gets better and better. Yeah. And you'll be covering the red carpet as well. Yes, so, you'll be covering yeah. the red carpet too. Yes, I put in a request, so hopefully they they put me through. Yes, hopefully they put us all through. <laughs> yes, you know, you know. <laughs> but you know, before uh, we have before Alyssa Leonard calls, why don't we take a short break and we will be right back. <laughs> Behind the Lens is sponsored in part by the Culver City Observer. Located in the heart of Screenland, Culver City Observer is available in print and online at www.culvercityobserver.com. And we are back. You're just joining uh, joining us. You are listening to Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias and... You're who? Who are you today? <laughs> I don't. I'm Greg Srisavasti. <laughs> Sometimes I don't know, but today I know. Today he knows. Yeah. Yeah. And for those of you that don't know, you know, yesterday was the Ides of March. Tomorrow is St. Patrick's Day. Um, Just a random question. Are you still watching a lot of movies? Are you still on that five, five to six movie a week yeah. clip? Okay. No, a day. A day. A day. No, you don't do that. Five. A d- I did. You do maybe two a day, right? You can do two a day. I do a minimum of three every day. <sighs> wow. A minimum of three every day. So that would mean you watch over 900 movies a year. Every year, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
Sadly, I do. Oh, and we have Alyssa. Hello, Alyssa Leonard. Hi. You are on with Debbie and Greg. I am so glad you could call in this morning. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is quite a film. I appreciate it. And where did this... Phil, we haven't told anybody really what the film is about other than the B12 vitamin deficiency, which is what sparks Sally on her journey. Right. How did the journey begin? Because I know this is a personal journey for you as well. Right. So I, um, I was a filmmaker and TV producer, and I've always, in the back of my mind, been looking for the right story to make a feature film out of. Uh, I didn't imagine it would be something that um, I had a personal connection with. But what happened was I read Sally's book in 2009, and um, I called her up and I said, I want to make an Aaron Brockovich kind of feature film about you. I have to buy your life story rights. (laughs) And she was like, whoa, what does that mean? So we started slowly. I went and interviewed her with a camcorder, and I interviewed lots of patients and lots of doctors about the topic to to learn more about it. and her story is a true story. I mean, she was finding more and more patients coming into her hospital with signs and symptoms and risk factors of B12 deficiency. But the doctors wouldn't test them because they said it wasn't an ER test or they said they didn't understand that you don't have to be anemic to be B12 deficient and that it poses huge, you know, long-term neurologic problems if you don't catch it in time. They traditionally it's been something that's up to primary caregivers to diagnose not hospital workers so um she ended up writing this book i read the book i thought it would make a great movie and we proceeded from there can you wow can you talk about the swimming upstream challenges of raising maybe the finances buying the buying the life rights and whatnot what what kind of um model did you use as far yeah, as making so i a unique situation. I, I, I optioned the life story rights, and I worked with a uh, friend and partner, um, writing partner that I'd worked with for a long time. Um, his name is Patrick Prentice, and we wrote the screenplay together, and we thought we would sell it to Hollywood. That was our plan. Our plan was, oh, let's, you know, this would make a great movie. Let's sell it to somebody. And so we put it in some screenplay competitions, and we were getting great feedback. But, um, Then I went to a women in film event, and a woman stood up and said, don't die with your screenplay in your drawer. You just have to do it. No one is going to pay to make your first feature film. You just have to do it. So when I said I'm in a unique situation, I did have some money in an S&P 500 that was sitting there. And I went home to my husband and said, I'm just going to do it. And he said, you go, you do it. (laughs) So I didn't raise the money to do it. I had savings. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, That's amazing. But I also knew, you know, we wrote a screenplay that didn't have pyrotechnics, didn't have, um, you know, no explosions, no car crashes, nothing that I couldn't do as an indie feature, you know, shooting locally in a small time frame. But and I have to say, I mean, I'm familiar with Patrick Prentice's work. Um, you know, some his quest for Noah's flood, mysteries of the Bible really informative, engaging, and enlightening. And to see him tackle this adaptation with you of this, you know, a personal story founded on medical truths that a lot of people want to ignore. 
I think was a perfect marriage um, of, you know, content and, you know, hands-on work. Well, thank you. That's It's tricky doing a medical thing because you don't want to, you don't want to make things worse by confusing people or giving wrong information. But if you go too far, no one's going to want to watch it because it just becomes a snore. So we were trying to, you know, juggle being light, um, but showing that, um, yeah, this has severe consequences. If mm-hmm. you don't know about it, you should know about it. So this is a film with a purpose. We think that people will learn something from it. We know it's already helped people. People called me after the premiere and said they headed straight for their doctors. They had the conversation. <laughs> people have found out that they were B12 deficient, and they didn't know. It happens slowly and insidiously over time. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know, you might not realize that that's why you're having mental impairment, you know, cognitive problems, or you're feet are numb or, you know, causes that kind of nerve damage, Mm -hmm. numbness, problems in thinking, brain fog, fatigue, um, pins and needles. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people don't think about it because none of us think that in this well-fed society anybody could be, have a vitamin deficiency. Well, and one of the things that helps so much and is so key in a film like this is your casting, your overall casting. I have to say... Jeff, uh, that Andrew Ballard is absolutely perfect as Jeff Stewart. Uh, oh, thank you. He, I, I I agree. We wanted a kind of, um, I mean, he is a lot like the real Jeff Stewart. You know, that's a real person who's just the kind of doctor you would want to have, the kind of doctor who says, I like to learn new things and, um, you know, really supportive and kind. He has, uh, Andrew brings this great fresh-faced enthusiasm to the role that really is what you want to see in new doctors coming out of med school, the ones that are on the cutting edge, the ones that are open to new ideas, new courses of treatment. And then you beautifully balance this enthusiasm and openness and inquisitiveness with the cadre of old codgers from the old school world of medicine where every doctor needs to be over 60 years old, portly, and no, this is the way it's been done, this is the way it's going to be done. So it allows you to get that visual distinction as well as you're listening to the dialogue that's unfolding. Yeah, well, Sally works in a, um, it's a you know, she's from a suburban Detroit hospital um, and in an emergency room. So traditionally, um, mostly men. Mm-hmm. She said, you know, 10% of the women, of the doctors were women. So we didn't put, you know, we had a few women doctors, but mostly men, just like her <laughs> hospital. <laughs> you know, just in layman's terms, how important is it for you to, in support of your film, go out and show it at, at different film festivals, like recently over in D.C. and upcoming in, in L.A.? What has that experience been for you, and how important are festivals in in regards to promoting your film? Um, you know, because I'm new to the to this business. I've never made a feature film before, so festivals are hugely important just so I can go around and meet people and show the film and get feedback, and, um, you know, we, we hope to figure out our distribution plan from film festivals. Um, but this has a built-in audience. We know mm-hmm. we have a loyal global audience for this. They write to me, they call me, they email me. Um, saying when is this, when will this be in Australia? When will this be in in London? You know, because a lot of people have found out too late that they've been injured by something that was preventable. Mm-hmm. 
important, um, how challenging was it, rather, um, with the dialogue? Because there is so much medical terminology, and we, we hear this all the time from a lot of actors on medical shows. Nailing terminology is very difficult for many. Here, the film, from beginning to end, uh, is replete with it. And Annette, uh, performing as Sally, does an amazing job. Yeah, it was a mouthful. And, and um, you know, we, Patrick and I on the set, we were always pairing back. Anytime we thought, oh, this is too much of a mouthful. We had put things in different scenes, knowing that we could cut it later editing because we weren't sure where should we mention this term methylmalonic acid that's a really important term but we you know is it better saying it here or is it better saying it there so we did it more than one way and then we figured it out in the edit sometimes because i didn't want to have to say cut it all out and say oh i wish i had it (laughs) you know so we we did i did try to shoot a variety Mm -hmm. um and then eliminate anytime it was too much. So now from a technical standpoint, uh, a filmmaking standpoint of shooting uh, Sally Pacholik, how many cameras were you using? Were you storyboarding? Did you shot list? Um, your lo- how did you scout your locations? I know you were in Chevy Chase in the Frederick area in Maryland. Yes, we shot all in Maryland. Mm-hmm. And the hardest thing was getting a hospital. I didn't want to have to build a hospital, obviously. But the hospitals I contacted were wary because they kind of Googled me or Googled Sally and they knew this is maybe about medical malpractice. We don't really want this in our hospital. And also they were full. They didn't have, you know, extra places for a film crew to be except Frederick Memorial Hospital, which was great. Our line producer, Jeremy Morrison, contacted them and said, we're making a film about it's a romance with a nurse. And they loved that, and they had an, a wing that was empty, and we got to shoot there for six days. It was a, it was great. It was amazing. But so the way I approached the hospital was with the cinematographer um, Nick Gardner. We decided everything in the hallways was going to be Steadicam mm-hmm. because it's, a, it's an ER, so it's a lot of hustle and bustle, and we we just wanted to walk with the doctors and the, and Sally Patchlock and you know. It, so everything in the hallways is steady cam. And then inside the rooms we you know, put things on a dolly or a tripod or mm-hmm. handheld, but everything else in the hospital steady cam. Now, I have to say, one of the, some of the most charming sequences in the film take place at the Vitality Rehire- Retirement Home. Were those uh, was that an actual retirement home that you found? Were these actually residents there or did you ha- completely fill the film with actors? Everything's an actor. Yeah, everybody's an actor. Um, except the, the true stories are when Sally is giving a, um, she gives a, a demonstration and mm-hmm. she refers to people on the TV screen. Those are real stories. That's my research for the screenplay. Mm-hmm. Um, those are real people who want, you know, allowed us to show their injuries. But um, the nursing home was actually a club. It's on Gibson Island in, in the Chesapeake Bay, and that was the clubhouse, and they were nice enough to allow me to shoot in the clubhouse. That's a very um, nice clubhouse. And, right. Well, so it's, you know, it's, um, it's on the shore, and it was the off-season. People weren't there during the week. They come on the weekends, but in the off-season, it's basically empty. So we shot there in um, early May before, uh, you know, it's seasonal out here sure. as opposed to L.A. 
You know, when people come up and ask you what's the biggest lesson you learned from this process that you'll take on to your next project, what what kind of answer do you do you give regarding um, hire good people and attention to details. You know, the, there there were a couple times where um, I had to let the producer instead of the director take over because I was wearing both hats, yeah. and the producer and me was saying, "Oh, you just have to buy it." But now, looking back as the director, I think, well, maybe this, maybe I, I should have fought harder on my director side. <laughs> um, but for the most part, for a first feature, yeah. I, I just feel like it was blessed from start to finish. You know, it's a true story. It's a story that's going to help people. I think we got great actors in a short amount of time. Um, you know, I was told, don't. Don't um, schedule the film for September and hope that people will hold space for you. Schedule the film as soon as possible and then, you know, cast people that are available right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was really good advice because, you know, for my first feature... Nobody was going to, you know, hold their September open. (laughs) (laughs) Well, for your second feature, they will. (laughs) Yeah, well, that would be nice. I have to ask you, Alyssa, when you and Patrick were adapting this, how do you decide what to cut? Because I know Sally has three books out now. Um, It's talking about the B12 deficiency issue. You know, how, you know, how do you determine what to cut out, what to include to make this cinematically appealing? Yeah, so it's not really an adaptation of the books, which are all about, you know, diagnosing and treating B12 deficiency. This is um, a story that leads up to her writing her first book. It leads up to her getting set up and saying, you know, patients deserve better than this. This is substandard care. If we can't even check for a vitamin deficiency that causes permanent harm, we're not serving our patients. So... We just looked at that part of the story. We wanted her to make that transition from nursing school student to woman at the top of her field mm-hmm. um, to, you know, the powerful force that can be, that needs to be reckoned with. She really took on the establishment in a way, you know, I, I tell people, this is like Galileo taking on the church. Sure. This is the powerful not listening to someone who is telling the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, so have you heard yet, uh, do you know yet where you're going to be in the lineup at uh, L.A. International Women's Film Festival this Saturday? Yes, we're, we're 2.30 on Saturday, and um, Sally's going to be there. Uh, Sally and Jeff, her husband, who are the co-authors of the book, uh, their new book just came out yesterday. That's what I, I, so, yeah, I thought the third one, yeah, was yesterday. Yeah, so they will be, um, you know, doing the Q&A along with me, and they'll do book signing afterwards. Um, we're very excited. And what theater? What theater? It's um, you know, because I'm from the East Coast. It's it's in Burbank, at the I don't have it in front of me. Um, boy, I should have been prepared with that. <laughs> well, the the publicist should have told me that too. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking it up as quickly as possible. Um, My guess is if it's in Burbank, it's probably at like the AMC or something over there. The um, it's at the university. Um, oh, that's okay. Where the film festival has their venue. Oh, um, okay. So, well, that's that but is. I'm an East Coast person, so. 
Hey, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> and I have to say that shooting in Maryland looked a lot prettier than if you'd been shooting in Detroit. <laughs> well, you know, suburban Detroit and suburban Baltimore area, they don't look that different. And no, they, so they for don't. For me, it made a lot of sense to tackle this as a, you know, local casting, local crew, um, keep the cost down for the first feature. And you get very authentic-looking people on the East Coast, too. Yeah. Eliza, I can't thank you enough. This has been an absolute pleasure. I'm going to actually try and make it over to the screening uh, on Saturday afternoon if I can. Oh, that would be so great. Yeah. Woodbury University, Burbank. Woodbury, thank you for looking that up. <laughs> I knew it would begin with W. <laughs> <laughs> and do you have any? Do you know yet where you're going to be going with the film after the after LA? Well, we know we're in Miami in June at. Um, the 10th anniversary Women's International Film and Art Festival. Oh, wonderful. I'm waiting to hear from several other places as well. And, you know, we have a, we have a great do-it-yourself distribution plan mm-hmm. in place, but um, I'd like to do the film festival circuit for a while because I just think it helps with public awareness, and, and that's part of why we did this film was to um, get the word out. Well, please, as you get more theaters and festivals, I mean, I'm following you guys on Facebook as it is, but let us know, and we will definitely keep putting the word out to our listeners. Well, thank you. I really appreciate talking to you. It was great. Hope to see you on Saturday. Oh, I hope so, Alyssa. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And we're going to take a short break, and we'll be back. Located in the heart of Screenland, Culver City Observer is the number one newspaper in Culver City, covering local news, politics, and community events, with sports by Mitch Chortkoff and movie reviews by Debbie Lynn Elias, Culver City Observer is the place to go to be in the know. When you think Culver City and the heart of Screenland, think Culver City Observer. When you think movies and movie reviews, think Culver City Observer. Culver City Observer, a division of Arizona Newspaper Group, is available in print and online at www.culvercityobserver.com. Welcome back to Behind the Lens. And with me right now is the person I have been waiting to talk to all day, Alan Tudyk. Hello, Alan. Oh, hey, how you doing? I'm fine. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. Last time I got to talk to you uh, was about wood chippers with Tucker and Dale versus Evil. <laughs> <laughs> that been, was a good time. You've been a little bit busy since then, um, and but I have to say, what kind of birthday are you having today, young man? You're right. After this weekend, 1.75 million Indiegogo wow. for Con Man. Wow. I'm, I'm actually um, on the uh, site. Yeah, that's, uh, that's great. <laughs> it's actually 1.9. We, uh, we get to make, we yeah. get to make uh, all 12 episodes now the, uh, uh, for Con Man. Oh, the, I'm... Uh, you know, I've, I've been in your corner since the days of Patch Adams. And wow. <laughs> yeah, you and I have talked about this before. I mean, from 310 to Yuma, death at a funeral and your naked butt on top of the roof. Um, <laughs> right. you know, 
we, we've had a lot of fun conversations over the years. And, of course, <laughs> you know, the world of Whedon. Um, yes. How much, I mean, you and Nathan, it's like everybody that Joss Whedon crosses, you got, well, magical things happen for you. Well, he gives you a, he gives you really good lines and good worlds to say them in. So, um, the affection that is there for Joss's work, um, it just, it, I don't want to say it swallows you, that seems strange, but it, uh, you, you get to be part of his world, he invites you along for, uh, for the ride, and uh, his fans are always eager to go on, on those Joss Whedon rides. And it's, there should be a Whedon land. There should be. I always like to refer to it as the world of Whedon. You know? <laughs> and That's, yes, we're, we're the... We're, Firefly is orbiting the world of Whedon since we're in space. Uh, we no. land every once in a while, but we're out there. <laughs> and obviously all the fans are coming along with you because as my trusty colleague, as Greg is seeing right now, your Indiegogo campaign is at $1.9 million right this minute. Uh, that's great. I, mean, I was worried when you said $1.7 that we may have lost a couple hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, just sort of like... In the, you know, we lost it in the wash. So, you know, just, Nathan can just open up his wallet. You know, that's pocket change for him. He, he, can, just, he can just toss it in himself. What's, what's great is um, funding it with all of these people. I think it's so much more interesting and better for the project to have a bunch of backers as opposed to uh, a single voice or a couple of voices that uh, can bend your project to their idea of it, whereas we have so many different backers from a community that is on board with the project and uh, giving ideas and suggestions and uh, casting suggestions uh, and telling us what they want, uh, either in their Twitter or uh, over Twitter, or we have this Hang With app where you go on. I go on my phone and I just talk to people, and I can just watch this number go up. It's like a thousand people, <laughs> fifteen hundred people that I'm talking with, and they're messaging me, and we just have a conversation. It's 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 easier to get um, them on the phone than it would be a studio. Sure, <laughs> was having <laughs> working studio was also having Alan was also having a sense of creative autonomy. Another aspect in launching this Indiegogo campaign as well, or. Or was that not a Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Whenever finance and art come together, art loses out a lot of the time, uh, especially if you're with someone who doesn't understand the world. Uh, the fans get the world because they built it. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's, it, it just made sense to have them involved. Um, and so the Indiegogo was the best way to do that. So, Alan, for people that, I mean, everybody globally is hearing con man, con man, con man right now. You and Robert Durst are probably the hottest topics out there today. Uh, <laughs> and for, I, I like the reasons that I'm hot as opposed <laughs> to his reasons. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you oh know, I try and keep it clean. We won't get into all the reasons that you're hot. But, you know. <laughs> and we're back to being naked on a roof. It, that, just, it always comes back. It always comes back to that. Uh, <laughs> but you know, for those that don't know what the premise of Con Man is or how this venture w- between you and Nathan came to be, fill us in. Give us your take on it. I'm where Con Man came from? Yeah. It's 
it came from the experiences or my experiences, and uh, we're always we're uh, shared with Nathan. A lot of times we are at conventions together, uh, and then also we're friends. We see each other a lot, uh, less so since he's in Castle. Uh, he's a very busy man, uh, but uh, we come together and, and talk about conventions, and we've always had a really good time with them. And it's the type of world that interesting and strange things happen. It's a, it's a fantastic world. Uh, in the beginning, I thought when I, was, uh, when I first went to a convention that the fans would be strange. You know, you always see, or I had seen Comic-Con, you see sort of the stand-up news uh, broadcast of them looking at people in costumes going, look at that one and look at that one. And that's what I was expecting was overly enthusiastic fans. And there are enthusiastic fans, but the craziest stuff was happening with the promoters and the behind-the-scenes people and just sort of generally when you're spending a weekend with a costume party, <laughs> the things that happen uh, around you, and it lends itself to comedy. And so my mind immediately picked up on that, and every convention I went to, I, he would just be reaffirmed, like, that would be really good, that would be really good. Um, I, I recently, it wasn't that long ago, I think it was last year, that I went to a convention, and there was a, there was a knock, at, knock at my, uh, first the handle jiggled on my room, and then there was a knock at the door, and I opened the door, and this young girl probably 20 years old, shuffles past me. She looked like maybe she was hungover from a party the night before. <laughs> she didn't look at me and goes, I don't know why my key isn't working. And walks right past me and then collapsed on the little love seat that was in my room, <laughs> face down. <laughs> I'm sorry, excuse me? I don't know you. You're, and she got up and was like, I'm in the wrong, oh, I'm in the wrong room, and left. But in the world of con man, if you're writing a comedy, a 20-year-old girl that you don't know in a costume passed out on your couch could add for a, a really good little plot. It makes line. perfect sense to me. Yeah, I mean, it becomes farcical very fast. Uh, so I started writing it. Um, I... I had always wanted to write a movie about about conventions because there aren't really a lot out there, and it's a very popular, it's very popular conventions right now. You know, mm -hmm. Comic Con gets reported every year, and the and the numbers keep going up. And now, um, television shows are all bending towards sci-fi, and definitely the biggest movies are Marvel movies. And Joss Whedon is he's in that world. Uh, he, <laughs> James Gunn with Guardians of the Galaxy. These are the best action movies out there. So. It just started making more and more sense to not just have the world of sci-fi, but the fans that fuel the, the, the growing world of sci-fi. Alan, was writing always a lifelong passion for you, or is that something that grew and evolved during your years as an actor? It was a... The first thing I remember writing was in, I grew up in Texas, and I was in uh, drama class, and we had to give a humorous interpretation. You'd do these things where you'd have several characters, and you'd do all the characters, which was really good education for a character actor. And I didn't want to read. I was such a lazy reader. <laughs> and uh, so I just wrote, I wrote my scene. I'm, like, I'm just going to write one. And so I wrote a thing called Dan the Animal Man about a guy who, uh, whose job it was to clean up roadkill and, uh, and his friends. And 
I, the, the class bought it. They thought it was a written thing. I made up an author, and they and they bought it. And my teacher pulled me aside and said, "Did you write that?" <laughs> she got it. I was like, "Yes." And she was very um, instrumental in me becoming an actor. She she was encouraged by that and by my acting, and told me I should go into the acting business. And then I did I did stand up for a short time. So I had uh, it. Uh, I won some small town Texas talent shows doing that. Um, and then quit doing that after someone threatened my life. Uh, some drunk. Oh. I decided this is dangerous. <laughs> um, and went into group improv. Went into like an improv. I went into improv because there's a group of you that you can, you know, even though they're not always the most, the best people to have in a fight. There's mm-hmm. you have numbers on your side. So True. Uh, got into improv and learned a lot there. And. Yeah, it's just always it's always been around. I've 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 started writing pilots a few years ago and uh, wow. have pitched, have gone around pitching and uh, had some had some traction once at a at a at a cable channel, uh, a really good one. That's where I wanted this show, and the and my experience was they said we love this idea. This is great, and we know exactly who we want to write it. And I said, well. I'd like to write it. And they said, no, no, no. Uh, we have somebody we like, and we're going to, it'll be his show. And I was like, yeah, so he writes it, it's his show. And they said, well, it'll be both of yours, but this way it gets made. Wow. If, 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 unless you do it our way, it's not going, we're not going to make it. And so I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to just leave then, because uh, it's really how I wanted to do it. And I mm-hmm. guess that probably, you know, that's in there somewhere that led to this. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that is a way to, to write, and uh, although people who are funding it have not particularly read all the, they haven't read the scripts, but Nathan, we've done readings, and every script has gone through him and um, different writers that I'm friends with. Tim Minear, uh who was one of the producers of Firefly, has mm-hmm. been a huge encouragement, uh, has been encouraging, uh, and I luckily, having acted for... Um, I think it's like 15 years or something now, or even more. Yeah, you've been around longer than that, my friend. And it's my birthday today, so I feel it. I know. I feel it more than usual. But I'm able to approach people that are um, leaders in writing and go, hey, (laughs) read this. And uh, it's been been great. I've gotten a lot of encouragement, so I'm... I'm, I, I can't wait to do them. I think there's some really, really funny stuff in here that so, I can't wait to share. I've got to ask you, how much does it help you and how good does it make you feel that you were part of the Oscar-winning best animated feature the past two years running, Frozen and Big Hero 6? Right. Well, I'm the type of guy. It feels amazing. It feels amazing. <laughs> but I'm also the type of guy who goes, why didn't Wreck-It Ralph win? <laughs> well, that's true because King Candy, we King Candy, Brave? come on! You I did, mean, it was good and all. You did the greatest <laughs> Ed Wynn sounding King Candy ever. You had me in tears the minute I heard your voice <laughs> because it just took me right back to my childhood and watching Babes in Toyland and mm-hmm. the Toy Maker. Oh. Yeah, I remember him from um, 
Mary Poppins yep. movie, where he was the one who was on the ceiling. That's right. <laughs> he was laughing, you know. I love to laugh. He had that yep. great song. Um, well, now, see, you, you should probably, you know, Julie Andrews will be at the TCM Film Festival next week, even though she's promoting Sound of Music. You could come and sneak up behind her and do an Edwin <laughs> voice from Mary Poppins. <laughs> you know. That would be great. I'd love just to, I just love to talk to her about Edwin. Like, what was her experience? What was her, how did she... Yeah, what was it like to work with him? Because I've seen all of his, I've seen all of his early television. He had, a, yeah. uh, he was one of the first uh, television uh, comedians. His shows were, the show. they were phenomenal. He did one season, he did all of his vaudeville stuff in one season, mm-hmm. and uh, then he was done because they didn't have other writers. Yeah, um, kind of like Common. There are no other writers but me. So, <laughs> so when <laughs> it's, it's, that's a challenge. So when do you start shooting Conman, and when will it start airing? Right. Uh, June, we go into production, and um, we're going to have editors working on it as we're shooting it. So mm-hmm. we're hoping, uh, it depends on, uh, we're hoping to have something in, uh, by July to show the, the backers, um, and it's just where that's going to be is what we're figuring out now. Mm-hmm. Um, but we want to make it someplace fun. And uh, so... And that would be like a, some kind of a sizzle reel, to show as much as we can. And then, I don't know, post-production. It depends. The, the, the 10th, 11th, and 12th episodes that got funded uh, last week mm-hmm. um, were, there's going to be some effects because it deals with the show within a show. The spectrum mm. is, uh, is the space show that Ray Nearly, my character in Conman, goes to all these conventions. At, mm-hmm. It's his entree to that world. It's what introduced him to conventions, and um, so when he does a panel, when he signs pictures, he's signing pictures from Spectrum. He's going and talking about Spectrum. So in the 10th and 12th uh, episodes, there's a lost episode that all of the um, all the fans talk about. Ah, oh, whatever happened to the lost episode? And Ray always says there is no lost episode. That's what they're referring to is when the show was canceled. The idea is Spectrum was canceled two days into filming the 15th episode. <laughs> Much like Firefly, we were canceled about two days into shooting our 14th episode. Mm-hmm. And we finished out the episode. We finished shooting it. And it became really great because we all got to know, we knew it was our last episode together. So we got to, you know, really enjoy our time together. Mm-hmm. But in the show, in, in the idea of Spectrum is that they did two days. They canceled them. And the creator, P.J. Harse, uh, <laughs> said, that's it, I'm out of here, I'm going back to Holland where I came from. You ruined my novel, because it was based on a novel that he wrote uh, by the same title, and he grabs the two days' worth of dailies and heads out of the country, and nobody's seen them. So in 10, 11, and 12, he releases the final, what the fans call, lost episode. And even though he only has two days of footage, you'll see that, and then you'll, you'll also get to see uh, he puts it together with fill-in actors, um, some animation, some Japanime. Uh, so it's a comedy version of an episode with some very dramatic moments within it the, the, of the two days that were shot. Mm-hmm. And so those are going to take some digital work. So I don't know however long that's going to take because mm. we have some effects that we need to do that should be exciting. How many cameras are, are you using for shooting this? Is this one camera two. deal, too? Yeah. Nice. So, you're you're just you're just no holds barred here. You're going all out. Well, I 
having, I mean, I'm somewhat, I guess, spoiled in that I've done this on a bigger scale on 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 the productions uh, on ABC and uh, Fox. Mm-hmm. So that's my experience, and that's what I'm looking to recreate. And I've always shot with two cameras, <laughs> and uh, we're going to need. We want to move that fast, and of course, and we want to be able to grab uh, some more of the natural back and forth without. Uh, worrying about overlapping one another and things like that, some of the, the benefits that you can you get with two cameras. Sure, because you and Nathan together are just, you know, it's just one wit, you know, trying to outdo the other one. Two of you are phenomenal. <laughs> you know, he, when he reads the script, he's always like, I wouldn't change a thing. It's great. And maybe one thing here and one thing there. And I'm like, come on, what about this joke? And if we get into the joke, if I go back and forth with him on a scene, he comes up with stuff that's better than mine every time. So, um that stuff and with other actors, it always gets a little sweeter on the day. Well, I, I mean, just, Alan, I can't thank you enough. I know you have a full day ahead of you. It is your birthday. You are entitled to celebrate your $1.9 million. Yeah, it's like my birthday party at Indiegogo. I mean, it's, it's, even though I'm not at the Indiegogo offices, it's sort of I'm living there through my computer screen. Well, you know... Happy, happy birthday, my friend. I look forward to Con Man, and you are welcome welcome back here anytime. Well, thank you so very much. And, this was great. And if you happen it was good to, to talk to you again. Good to talk to you again. And if you happen to put in a scene, you know, sitting naked on a roof again, hey, works. <laughs> works. I think I'm going to have one in my underwear. See? See? Uh, I know the writer. I can get him to write it in if it. <laughs> you know? I mean, I could even kick in a few dollars for that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sold. Sold. Hey, thank you thank so you. much, Alan. Have a great right, birthday. Cheers. Thanks a lot, y'all. Take care. Bye. And that was Alan Tudyk. We're going to take a short break and be right back. the Lens is sponsored in part by the Culver City Observer. Located in the heart of Screenland, Culver City Observer is available in print and online at www.culvercityobserver.com. And we are back to Behind the Lens. For those of you that are just joining us, you just missed the incredible Alan Tudyk talking about con man, death at a funeral, naked butts on, on rooftops, Firefly, Joss Whedon, Nathan Fillion. I think you were talking about the naked butts on the rooftops. <laughs> that was one of the funniest scenes yes. I've ever seen yes. in the film. And when, and when we talked about that film, Death at a Funeral, when it came out, he really was sitting up there and they forgot he was up there and he actually had a sunburn. Wow. On his butt. So, um, but Conman, that was a great interview. Absolutely fabulous, and we will we will keep keep up on this. Just a quick number: yes. one point nine million, right? Yep. The initial they were asking for 400, $425,000. Right. There's twenty six more days left. Wow. So twenty six days left. So. Wow. It's gonna. I think they're season last. two. Season two could get funded. Yeah, and they're gonna unlock with two million. That unlocks a DVD and Blu-ray perk. So they're easy easily gonna make that. 
uh, within 26 days. Wow. Yeah. So this stuff. is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, I mean, Alan is so talented, and talented, yeah. and as I said, you know, he and Nathan together it's just wit upon wit upon wit upon wit, yeah. and it it's fantastic. But right now we're going to talk about dark and light. Dark and light, Walter. Walter. You know, the thing is, the trailer it makes it look like a very cute, quirky comedy. And it is. It is. In many, in many facets, but if you actually watch it, it, it has so many more layers than that. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of dark humor in there, but this stems, Walter stems from incredible performances, starting with Andrew West as Walter himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This poor, you know, ticket taker who plays kind of with an autistic or bent or an Asperger's bent. He believes he's the son of God. Yes. And it's up to him to decide who goes to heaven or hell. Yeah, um, and his mother is played by Virginia Madsen. William H Macy is his psychiatrist, is one gra- uh, grounding with reality, and Milo Ventimiglia is the foil. is is the the cocky, snarky foil. Testosterone driven. Yes, yeah. which is a perfect casting. Yeah, it is perfect casting. But you know, I had a chance to talk to Virginia, mm-hmm. and did you have you? T- yes, sp- yes, yeah, and you great. spoke to her as yes, well. Yes, yeah. Put, her, put the interview up on my blog, so that was good. And that was a great interview for you, too, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, she is... Um, I first met Virginia back in the early 80s when she first came to Los Angeles uh, when she was still dating Billy Campbell. Oh. So, long, 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 long time. I only go back to Sideways okay. in 2004. Okay. So. Well, I ha- during my interview with Virginia, she talked about the importance of an acting coach, which surprised me. And... Uh, but it's something very important to her, and this is what she had to say about it. You mentioned, what I found really interesting is you mentioned you still have an, an acting coach. Oh, yeah. There are so many, especially of, t- of today's generation, they poo-poo and they dismiss the idea of an acting coach. How beneficial is an acting coach for a performer? Well, you know, I can only speak for myself. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's... It's excellent. You know, for me, it's really important to have someone who looks at a script objectively, not thinking of themselves, and and helps me break it down in a really, you know, in a in a really common sense way. He's not the kind of coach that goes into the mystical world of 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 acting moments. You know, he does it in a really and it, and, it, and it reflects sort of my character as a person. Mm-hmm. And and he, he breaks it down. And, and finds sort of like little gems and surprises, like, did you ever think of this? And did you ever look at this? And I'm kind of like, ah. You know, so it's just having, you know, it's, it's having extra input, mm-hmm. um, which, which is very useful for me. Kind of like that um, third eye. You know, I mean, like, look, if I was, if I was, uh, a ballerina, I would be, I would have to, you know, train every morning. Um, if I was, you know, if I was an athlete, I would have to train every day, mm-hmm. make my instrument stronger. And I feel that acting is the same. You, you can't just sit around and take it for granted that you're going to open your mouth and be brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe the audience will not I connect with that. <laughs> so I think it's just kind of, it, it also was very helpful when I spent a lot of years just 
kind of working mm-hmm. and not being really, and I couldn't figure out why I wasn't effective when I would meet people. You know, my auditions were very inconsistent. And why, why, what, what am I doing wrong? And a lot of actors like to play the blame game, like, well, they just dumped at me. You know, I just can't get in the door, you know. And, and it goes... And hopefully next week we'll have more time to play more of Virginia Madsen's interview. Also, Ken Brana talking Cinderella. And Kelly Pratt will be here next week. We're talking TCM Film Festival. And that's it for today. And you'll be back on the 30th. All right. And that's it. You can listen to a recap of this later this afternoon and throughout the week. And we'll have video up. And you can enjoy Alan Tudyk all over again with us.